day or the privilege of getting together as your children in the house of the Lord. We just thank you for your presence, that your goodness is with us and your kindness and your blessings are chasing us down and overtaking us. We just thank you that you are a good, good father. We thank you for all the amazing ways you're blessing each and every one here in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome. I just realized I don't even know if I introduced us to new people. My name's David, and that was my lovely wife, Tricia, who was helping me with announcements there. Um, so welcome to Catch the Fire, Ottawa. Um, for those of you who are new, those of you who've been here for a while, you will know that we've been in a series on the kingdom of God. This is session number 10, I believe. And so if you want to catch up or want to hear previous messages, they're all posted on online, uh, or you can look on iTunes um, just search Kessifier Ottawa or a website, ctfottawa.com. But today I'm going to continue on. We've been, we've been talking about this. Uh, near the beginning, I was mentioning how Jesus taught on the kingdom of God. And it was kind of, it's kind of mysterious. And the, the reason people have a lot of difficulty with understanding what the kingdom of God is, one of the reasons is because Jesus talks about it both in terms of a pr- that it's a present reality and that it's a future yet to come. And so it was hard to, it's sort of hard to grapple with that. And so we've been in this series trying to grapple with it. And since J- January, we actually, uh, I preached a message January 15th on the mystery of the kingdom coming to terms with, with what that means exactly. And so I made the point near the beginning of the series that Understanding how the kingdom of God is both present and future is absolutely fundamental for understanding the whole New Testament. Because every single New Testament writer had this framework as an under uh, grid of, of their theology, of how they understood God. And so it's, in all honesty, almost impossible to understand the New Testament uh, if, if you don't come to terms with this idea that Jesus brought that the kingdom is both present and future. And so for the last two sessions, I've been talking about how Paul the Apostle understood the kingdom of God is both present and future. Today we're going to be talking about John the Apostle. But before I go there, just a brief summary review, uh, particularly for those who are new, but also if you haven't been here for a while. The kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? We defined it as the rule of God, the reign of God. The term kingdom, Jesus uses it in the sense of reign, not realm. A time period where God rules and reigns sovereignly over humankind. Now, the coming of the kingdom with Jesus Christ resulted in a totally uh, radical shift in people's eschatological perspective. Now, for those of you who are new and you don't, uh, you're like, what did he just say? Eschatology is simply the study of the end. So eschaton means the end, the end of of history, the end of time. So whenever you hear anything to do with eschatology, we're talking about the end, the very end. Okay, so people had to come to terms with how, how is it that the kingdom of God is here, but it's not yet here. Because they were expecting this cataclysmic end to history when the kingdom of God came. And Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here right now. So people were kind of like, what? What do you mean the kingdom of God is here? Evil's still present. Sin's still present. Unrighteousness is still here. Sickness is still here. All that's supposed to go away with the kingdom of God. What do you mean it's here? And then then we went through some of the parables about how Jesus described the mystery of the kingdom as a mustard seed. It's coming in a way as a suffering, humble servant, the Messiah, not to come and bash people's heads in, like the Romans, the hated enemies of God, but to come and to invite people to experience the blessings of the kingdom here and now. Okay, so just as there's two advents of Christ, the first coming and the second coming, so is there two manifestations of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God came present with Jesus Christ, okay, But it's also, it's been inaugurated, but not consummated. The fullness of the kingdom's not yet here. There's still going to be a a full-fledged judgment of God that's going to come, okay? But the kingdom of God 
came with Jesus Christ, right, where the king is, the kingdom is, and he started the manifestation of God's reign on earth and the overthrow of Satan by casting out a demons, healing the sick, all the stuff we're called to do as followers of Christ. So we live between the times. We live in this already not yet reality. The future kingdom of God came present now in Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection and the coming of the Spirit, Okay, and we live in between the times. The present evil age is still here, but the kingdom of God came, broke into this present evil age, and we can experience the blessings of the kingdom here and now. In fact, we're supposed to. We're supposed to live as heaven on earth. Okay, so the kingdom of God's both already and not yet, and that's what it means. It means it is here. Now, it's here in a way that it's in veiled power, and people... Uh, are not expecting it. It's, it's here in a humble package, right? But it's here nonetheless, okay? And we're supposed to live the future now and the present. We're supposed to live heaven to earth, kingdom here now, okay? So Jesus, his first coming set the future in motion. The coming age is dawned, and we await the consummation in his second coming, the fullness of it. Okay, so as Christians, we're called to be living the life of the future now in the present evil age. And for you visual people, I have this graphic here just to show you what I'm talking about. You can see at the fall, sin entered, and this became a present evil age, the, the dominion of darkness. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 4.4, he calls Satan the god of this age. Okay, so... It became, this age, this evil age became known as, as Satan's age because there's evil, there's sickness, there's disease. And, and what Jew, the Jewish people uh, came to believe is that God was going to bring an end to this age. And at that point, the Messiah would come, the Spirit would come and bring the kingdom of God. Okay? Now that happened, but it didn't happen in the way they were expecting. The first coming of Jesus brought the age to come. He brought the spirit. He started the overthrow of Satan, okay? But we're still in this present evil age, okay? So the kingdom did come, and it is here, but not in the fullness that people were expecting. And so right now, we're living in the last days. We're living in the latter days. You'd recognize that from the prophets, right? And that's, they quote Joel 2.28, when the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost, right? In these last days, I'll pour to my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, yada, yada, yada. He was saying, this is a fulfillment of that promise. So the kingdom of God is here now through the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we're living in those last days. But, so it's the already not yet, right? Already not yet completely in its fullness. But at the second coming of Christ, the full consummation of the kingdom of God is going to come. And the complete overthrow of Satan is going to come. Death is going to be defeated. And at that point, right, there's going to be no more sickness, no more disease, no more evil, because the fullness of the kingdom is coming. Now, the reason I spend, and I'm spending so much time on this, is because this is such a crucial part of understanding the New Testament. Like we talked about the last two weeks, how, how this is so crucial for understanding Paul the Apostle. From the New Testament perspective, the whole Christian existence and theology has this eschatological tension of the already not yet as its basic framework. And it's a key, it's a crucial key to understanding the whole New Testament because every New Testament writer had this perspective. And if you're interested and you weren't here, you can listen to the messages I gave on Paul the last couple weeks. But, but essentially, I started uh, talking about how this altered eschatological perspective became the basic theological framework of Paul. And what I wanted to do, for those of you who were here or weren't here, I wanted to actually do this last time, but kind of ran out of time, is give you a pretty significant portion of scripture from Paul, from Ephesians, which is essentially showing how this framework is, is all throughout Paul. Just in like a few paragraphs, it's all over the place. He talks about present, past, future, all in the same paragraph. We talked about last time how Paul talks about salvation is past, salvation is present, process, salvation is future. Why? Because he had this already not yet eschatological perspective as his framework. And if you don't understand that, it's almost impossible to understand what he's talking about. Because what are you talking about, Paul? Like, one second he's talking about past, you were saved. Next sentence he's talking about future, you will be saved. 
Okay, so what I wanted to do to serve as sort of a summary, but also to show you people who weren't here, just this portion of scripture from Ephesians, okay? So this is, a, this is from Ephesians 1, starting at verse 13, all the way to 2.8, okay? And you'll recognize some of these verses from the last couple of weeks, but I'm going to do it all in one shot. Okay, Ephesians 1.13, you can just listen if you want, this is a lot of text. And you also were... Notice past tense, included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. That's past already, okay? Who is a deposit, present already, guaranteeing our inheritance, future not yet. The not yet, okay? So the Holy Spirit is a seal Okay, he's a guarantee, he's a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance in the future, the not yet, until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise and glory of God. You see, there's the past, there's the present, there's the future in one paragraph. So then he says, for this reason, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And this is the famous apostolic prayer. Okay, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And remember we talked about how know, the knowledge, is not an a intellectual knowledge. An intele- it's not an intellectual, like it's not like reading biography of someone means you know them. Okay, it means an experiential relationship experiential knowledge of God, okay? So he's talking about through the Spirit, you come to know God more intimately. Then he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that. This is, he's praying that you would come to the revelation of these things in order that you may know, remember experientially, the hope to which he's called you. This, he's talking about the future, the not yet that you would know the hope to which he's called you, experiential, that it'd become a reality now because you're supposed to be experiencing the future and the present. Then he says, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, that's future, not yet, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. This is present already. So he's saying, he's praying that we would come to terms with and the revelation of the power that's manifest in every single one of us is a function of coming to a, a relationship with Christ. He's saying that you, you're, he's, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so you would know this incomparably great power for us who believe. Now look at this, the next verse. That power, that power that's resident in you right now is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the, in the heavenly realms at the right hand of the Father already. So, so this, is, this is one of those unbelievable scriptures. It's hard to believe. That's why Paul's praying, you, I need to pray that you come to revelation that the same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God in the heavenly realms is resident in you. The power of the age to come is present in you now. If you guys remember from Hebrews, we talked about Hebrews 6 verse 5 last week. He says that believers taste of the powers of the age to come. That's how we live the future and the present. That's how we live uh, from heaven to earth. This power that raised Christ from the dead is in you. Now he's praying, I pray that you to get that revelation because it's so hard to grapple with, okay? But then he goes on, he says, look, he's, he's in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that's invoked, not only in the present age already, but in the one to come, not yet. In other words, the power of the age to come. Okay, you're seated positionally with Christ and you have the same authority and the same power that he has and he, ha- he has the power over all rule and authority and dominion and power in this age and the age to come. We, that same power is living in us and that's how we're supposed to live as Christians. The life of the future now in the present, the power of the age to come overcoming all rule and authority, dominion, power in the name of Jesus Christ, because it's all through his authority, right? We've been given that authority, though. 
Then he says, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. In other words, we're him, we're the body of Christ manifest on earth, and we're supposed to bring heaven to earth now through that power that he's given us. Now, I want you to remember that language in the heavenly realms, but we're going to move on because he talks about it in a few, few seconds. This is chapter two now. As, f- as for you, you were, past tense, dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And that, wo- that word actually literally means this age. We're talking about the age, the present evil age and the age to come, right? So you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, he's talking about Satan, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us used to live among them and at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh. Remember, we talked about the flesh versus the spirit last time. This is what he's talking about. He's talking about the flesh as part of the age, the present age, the evil age. It's the past and it's going away. You're supposed to live from the future. You're supposed to live by the spirit because the spirit, it's the age of the spirit. The future has come now. You're supposed to live by the spirit, not according to the flesh because the flesh is according to this present evil age and is passing away. So he says, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following his desires and thoughts like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. Verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Past tense. Notice that. You have been saved past already. And God, look at this, raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Remember what we just read, that he's seated in the heavenly realms, all far, far above all rule and authority, dominion, and power? Every name that can be evoked in this age and the age to come, he says, you are seated with him right now, already, positionally, in Christ in the heavenly realms. We're supposed to remember, live from heaven to earth, the age to come in the present. But then look at the next. (laughs) So that's already. In order that in the coming ages... He might show the incomparably riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Future, not yet. You see that? Past, already. Present, already. Future, not yet. In the same sentence, essentially. Okay? Salvation he's talking about is past, present, future. The fullness of it. For it is by grace you have been, past tense, saved. And not, this not from yourself is the gift of God, past, already. Remember that diagram I showed you? All of this to say that Paul is such a thoroughly eschatological man. This is just the way he thinks, okay? That it's very difficult, if not impossible, to understand him without taking this framework seriously. How do you come to terms with this? Past, future, present, future, past, 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 present, future, whatever, right? He goes, he's just all over the place. Because, because... We talked about how the resurrection of Christ and the gift of the Spirit are here now in the present. So the future is here in the present, okay? And that's guaranteeing that the future consummation is going to happen and that we're supposed to live that future reality here on earth. We're supposed to live as a colony of heaven on earth. He calls us citizens of heaven in Philippians 3.20. That's what we're called as. We're, We're supposed to be living that way, right? The Sermon on the Mount, that's what Jesus talks about, heaven to earth, Now, what's true of Paul as to the eschatological framework that dominates his theology, what we just talked about, is likewise true of all the rest of the New Testament writers, all of them, okay? Luke, James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, Jude, Hebrews, and today we're going to talk about John, because John is important, and you may have noticed we haven't talked about John much. We focused on the synoptic gospels, Mark, Matthew, Luke. John is in his own category, (laughs) And you're going to see why today. He has different language. Like, you guys, have you ever read the Gospel of John? You know what I'm talking about? It's so different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. How many of you recognize that? Yeah. It's just so different. Everything. The way Jesus talks, the, the, uh, you know, the way he describes Jesus, the language he uses is just different. And we're going to talk about that today because he still has this eschatological, already not yet framework as his theological understanding. You're going to see that. So, John has one theme from beginning to end, eternal life. Okay? That's the one phrase, the one term John uses over and over and over and over and over again. 
And this is his term for eschatological salvation. Now, we probably all know John 3.16. You could probably memorize this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but what? Have eternal life. You guys remember when I said that once and there was that young little girl who said, I know that verse, and she knew it by heart. And No, you weren't here. Okay. Anyway, that was cute. That just reminded me of that. So <laughs> anyway, I want to talk a little bit about this term because it's super important for understanding this, okay? Eternal life, because John uses it so much, okay? So eternal life, it, uh, first of all, it has a central place in all of 1 John. We're talking about the epistle of John now, 1 John, okay? Look, this is 1 John 5, 11 through 13, near the end of the epistle. He says, and this is the testimony God has given us, eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. I write these things. This is the whole purpose of his letter. I write these things, all of these things that I wrote about, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Okay? This is 1 John 1, the, how he starts the letter. Verse 1 and 2. That which is from the beginning... Which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at our uh, hands and touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. He's talking about Jesus. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. This is 1 John 2, 24 to 25. As for you, see that you have heard from the beginning, remains in you. If it does not, you, will, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. And this is the same with the Gospel of John. Okay? Chapter, no, can you go back one? Chapter 1, verse 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Chapter 4, he's the giver of the water of life. Chapter 5, he was the one who gives life to whomever he wills. Chapter 6, he is the living bread, the bread of life. Chapter 8, he's the light of life. Chapter 10, he's the good shepherd who came that his sheep might have life. And in verse 28, he says, I give them eternal life. Chapter 11 and 14, he is the life. Chapter 17, he gave, came to give life to all whom the Father has given him. You can see all the life, 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 eternal life, life, eternal life, life, life. That's all John talks about, <laughs> okay? In this gospel, life, talking about just life now, equals to know God. Remember we talked about just a minute ago, knowing God experientially, relationally. That's what life is. And I'll show you the verse right now in John 17, verse 2. He says, for you granted him authority over all people. This is Jesus praying that he might give eternal life to those of you who've uh, given him. To all those you have given him, sorry. Now this is eternal life. This is how he defines it. That they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. There you have it. Knowing God. Eternal life. That's what it's all about. Now, why am I saying all this? It's super important to understand what he's talking about. What is eternal life? Okay? Understanding that term is super crucial. Now, I want to point something out. How do we understand this term, eternal life, especially in light of the synoptic gospels that emphasize the phrase kingdom of God? And if those of you who have been here for the last 10 sessions know what I'm talking about, it's all over the place. Right here at Matthew, he says kingdom of God 49 times, in Luke 41 times, in Mark 15 times. And those are only the times he says the whole phrase kingdom of God. If he just used the word kingdom, it would double those. In John, three times. Totally disproportionate to the other synoptic gospels, right? Like, what's up with that? You know, this was Jesus' main teaching in the synoptic gospels. How come John is, is so underrepresenting that term? And we're going to talk about that. Okay? So the key to understanding this is twofold. First of all, the word life is often accompanied with the adjective in Greek, ionion. Okay? That's translated eternal. Okay? This means of the age. The word ionion actually means of the age. Okay? So that's how they get the word eternal. 
So from the word ion or aeon, meaning an age, when we talk about the present age, you know, we talked about that, and I showed you that graph, the present evil age, the age to come, it's that word, okay? This is the word we're using. So this age, ionion. Now, the reason I'm telling you all this is because when John speaks about life, ionion, eternal life, The phrase eternal life sometimes misses the point he's making because we think of it in terms of endless duration. He doesn't mean it that way necessarily. What he's talking about is the language of the future, the language of the coming age, okay? The age to come is what that means. Life of the coming age now. So what he's saying is it's the language of the future, The life of the coming age present now. Eternal life now. Does that make sense? Cool. So it's the life of the age we're dealing with. Okay. So, it's true that the phrase kingdom of God is used only three times, and I have them here. Two of the times is when we talk about being born again. We'll talk about that later. Only three times... And the reason is because this language of the life of the coming age, eternal life has come to take the place of the language of the kingdom of God. This phrase, eternal life, now takes that place in John's gospel. And if you're like, what are you talking about? I'm going to show you in scripture it's used synonymously with the kingdom of God. Okay, the phrase eternal life means the same thing. It's interchangeable. And here's one example from Matthew. You guys will probably recognize the story, the rich young ruler. He comes up, right? This is Matthew 16, or 19, verse 16. A man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get what? Eternal life. Right? That's what we're talking about. Then Jesus said, okay, oh, right. I, I just skipped some here. But what happens is Jesus says, okay, do this, this, and this, and this. He quotes this, the law. The guy's like, I've done that since I was a kid. What do I still lack? Jesus says, okay, sell all your possessions. Come follow me. Give them to the poor. And then the guy couldn't do it. He walks away sad. So when he walks away, this is what Jesus says. Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who's rich to what? Enter the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, wait a minute, he was asking about eternal life. What do you mean entering the kingdom of heaven? Then he repeats himself. He says, again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. You see that? The guy asked about eternal life. Jesus is saying, calling it kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. It's used interchangeably. That's the point I'm trying to make. So it's clear from this that the kingdom of God is synonymous with eternal life, right? Which was the rich man, young, young man's question. Now, this is the key to understanding John who uses the phrase eternal life more than the kingdom of God. Now, I want to go on to show you something important. It's also clear that, this, that the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are used interchangeably, right? He says that. He's like, Hard to enter the kingdom of heaven. I tell you again, it's hard to enter the kingdom of God. So in Matthew, when you see those two, it's the same thing. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. Okay? But, and they're interchangeable, and they're both interchangeable with eternal life and with salvation. Okay? And I'm going to show you that right now. The very next verse, when his disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? What do you mean? What are you talking about being saved? The guy asked about eternal life, then Jesus talked about entering the kingdom, and now you're talking about being saved. They're all the same thing. <laughs> Does that make sense? They're all the, they mean the same thing, essentially. So Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Peter answered him, We've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? This, here's Jesus' answer. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, he's talking about the future kingdom, the fullness of the consummation now. When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Let me show you Mark's version of this. This is the same story, but this is how it's written in Mark. And most scholars believe that Mark is the source that Matthew and Luke use, but that's another story for another day. 
Okay, this is Mark 10, 29 and 30. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who's left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Right, we're talking about this present evil age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and field along with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. Okay, so but many who are first will be last and the last first. What's the point? Eternal life, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, salvation, the age to come, all of them belong together and all have the promise of the future for those who in this age have become disciples of Christ. Does that make sense? All of those can be used interchangeably, essentially. So eternal life belongs to the age to come. The kingdom of God belongs to the age to come. But we're supposed to live that here now in the present. Eternal life and the kingdom of God is here now for those who follow Christ. Here's another example, just quickly. This is talking about the judgment day. There's a parable of the, the goats and the sheep. And Jesus defines what, how people are going to be judged, right? The sheep get a good judgment because they do all the good things. Verse 34, he's, then he says to them, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Okay, then fast forward to verse 46. Then they will go away in eternal punishment, the, the goats, the bad people, but the righteous to eternal life, right? Kingdom, eternal life, same meaning. So the righteous will inherit the kingdom, which means they'll go away into eternal life. They're used synonymously. The reason I'm belaboring this is because it's so important in understanding John. If you, don't, if you don't get that, he's talking about essentially the same thing as the kingdom of God. You could miss that. Okay, because he doesn't use the language very much, kingdom of God. The point is, we need to take seriously that the adjective ionion means eschatological life. Okay, the life of the coming age, the life of the future. That's the life of the coming age that we're dealing with. Okay, so, so the future present, the pre right? The not yet present in the already. <laughs> so when Jesus says, and I've given them eternal life, he means the life of the age to come. The life inherent in God that belongs to the future that's now been given in the present. So life, because it's the life of the coming age, it's, the it's first of all in an eschatological term, talking about the end. It belongs to the future, the life of heaven. But at the same time, life is the essential nature of God. Look at John 5.26. For as the Father has life in himself... So he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. So both, it's the essential nature of God and the Son, Jesus Christ. Okay, and it's, life is also the essential nature of the Son. So that finally Jesus is, himself is called life. And he's called eternal life. Just some examples in John eleven twenty five and four sixteen, He calls himself the life. I am the life. In 1 John 1, 2, the, remember the life appeared, talking about Jesus. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us, Jesus Christ, eternal life. Okay, so life <laughs> is the essential eschatological term for John. Life, eternal life, the age to come, the life of the age to come, present now. So now with that being said, okay, we were talking about the term eternal life. I want to show you this already not yet perspective in John. That, that it's essential in understanding this to come to terms of what he talks about in the book of John. So as with the rest of the New Testament, eternal life is clearly set within this already not yet framework that we've been talking about. John's basic emphasis, however, is on the already the realized part of it, the already aspect of this divine eschatological life. So he's not ta usually talking about the future. He's talking about on the future life that's present now if you believe in Jesus. That's usually the emphasis in John. Okay, so this is the urgency of both the gospel of John and the epistle of 1 John. So I'm just going to give you a bunch of scriptures to show you this. So this is from the first epistle, uh, John, 1 John 5, 11 to 13. And this is the testimony God has given us, eternal life. And this life is in the Son. Whoever has the Son has life already. Notice that's already. 
Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. And this is the whole purpose of the first letter, right? This is at the conclusion. I write these things, I write all of these things that I wrote, this whole letter, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. Now, present tense. In other words, you now live the life of God, the life of the future present through the Son here and now. The kingdom of God is here. This is 1 John 3.14. We know that we have, past tense, passed from death to life already. Because we love each other, anyone who does not love remains in death. So life is what God is and what God is giving us, and it's already present now for those who believe. The life of heaven. In the gospel, now we're talking about the gospel of John. This is chapter 20, verse 31. This is the conclusion of the whole book. Again, he says, these things are written, talking about the whole gospel, the whole book, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life now, present, already in his name. Okay, and here's a few examples. John 4, 14. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Present now. Jesus, he's talking about the Holy Spirit there. John 5, 21 and 24. He says, for just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it here and now, present tense, already. 24, verily, truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has, present tense, eternal life, and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Present. Now, that's the already, but because we're talking about the ionion, the life of the coming age, the word life is also not yet. Okay, we got the already, present now, but it's also not yet. So for an example, John 5, 25, very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come that the dead will, talking about the future, hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Future. Okay? This is John 6, 40. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall, talking future, have eternal life and will raise them up on the last day. Future. Okay. So clearly present eternal life, but now referring to the not yet, the already not yet of eternal life. So with John, as with everyone else in the New Testament, everything is both already and not yet. Life itself, as we already talked about, is already not yet. But the resurrection he talks about is already not yet. Okay, I'm going to show you a couple of verses on this. This is John 5, 24 to 27. We already talked about these verses, but now think about this, how he talks about already not yet in this portion of scripture. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life already and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life already. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will, future, hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Not yet. Talking about the resurrection. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to also have life in himself. And he is given authority to judge because he's the Son of Man. John eleven twenty five to 26, still talking about the resurrection, already not yet. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die, because I am the resurrection. That's why. That's what Jesus calls himself. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die because I am the life. Do you believe this? Okay, so he's talking about the resurrection and life, future not yet. The judgment, the final eschatological judgment, talks about, he talks about it in already not yet terms. John 3.18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Already, here and now. Condemned already, present tense, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Yet, in John 5, 28, 29, he says, Do not be ashamed of this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and will come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to life. Those who have done what is bad are evil will rise to be condemned, not yet. You see that? Already they're condemned, not yet they're condemned, but they will be. 
already, not yet. Sonship. This is like the prototype verse for already, not yet. Because <laughs> he actually says both of those in the same verse. He says, this is 1 John 3, 2. Dear friends, now already are we the children of God. We are already the children of God. And what we will be, future tense, has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Right? So already we're the children of God, and we're not going to be any more the children of God than we already are. But when he appears, we shall be finally fully like him, and we're not yet there already, but not yet. And if you remember, Paul talks about it in the same way, in the same Romans chapter 8. He talks about how we are God's children, we're adopted, yet the, we, get, we get the first fruits of the Spirit awaiting for our adoption to sonship, right? Just a few verses later, already and not yet. So, with that being said, how do we enter the kingdom of God? How do we enter eternal life? That's important, right? And we haven't really talked about that yet. John clearly answers us in his book. How is it we enter the kingdom of God? How does it become a present reality in our, in our existence on earth here in the present age? John 3, verse 3 and 5. Another meaning of eternal life is the life of God's spirit dwelling within us. Okay? So you guys will probably, if you're evangelical, recognize these verses, hopefully. Verse 3, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can what? See the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and born of the Spirit. The absolute crucial key for being born again, for entering the kingdom of God, for entering eternal life, is to be born of the Spirit of God. Okay? And you'll see, remember we talked earlier about how the scriptures use eternal life and kingdom of God interchangeably? Even in John, he uses it interchangeably. Because right here, he's talking about the kingdom of God, right? Then later, actually in verse 15, he talks about it in terms of eternal life. He's talking to Nicodemus. And then he says, verse 16, we talked about this earlier today. God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes him shall not perish but have eternal life. He's, this is in the same context of what we we're just showing you. Being born again, entering the kingdom of God, receiving eternal life. They're all talking about the same thing. Okay? So for God did not send his son into the world to, to condemn the world, but to save, talking about salvation now, the world through him. You see that? How they're all interchangeable. So understanding that the eternal life the life of the coming age, the kingdom of God, the future made present is all talking about the same thing. And that's crucial for understanding John and the New Testament. So the new birth by the spirit is the beginning of the life of the age to come. You're not going to experience the kingdom of God unless you get born again. You're not going to see the kingdom of God unless you're born by the spirit. Okay. You're not going to enter it. You're not going to have eternal life. You're not going to be saved crucial to our whole Christian existence of the Spirit of God, right, through Christ. So we're already have within us the life of heaven. Now we have to live heaven to earth. We have to live and show people what heaven is like, because that's what we're called to do and to be as Christians. We already participate in the life that belongs to God's future kingdom. Already. Already. We need to show the world what heaven's like. That's our mandate. Preach the kingdom of God. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you receive the kingdom, freely give the kingdom. That's what our existence is supposed to look like. Heaven to earth, colony of heaven. Show this present evil age what heaven's like so they can enter the kingdom by the Spirit through Christ. John 7, talking about the Holy Spirit. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were, were later to receive. Up until that point, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus has not yet been glorified. Okay? 
Look, remember John 4, 14, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of living water welling up to eternal life. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. We experience eternal life through the Spirit of God. We become born again and enter it through the, the Spirit of God. And we live the eschatological life of the future now in the present by the power of the Spirit of God. The powers of the age to come, here and now, through the Spirit. So salvation in Christ, this is important, talking about the Trinity now. Salvation's, <laughs> first of all, initiated by God the Father, okay? Because he so loved us. He loved us so much that he initiated that we would have eternal life with him forever. Number two, it's effected historically by Christ the Son through his death and resurrection, right? He broke the curse of sin, our flesh was crucified, and we can have a subjective experiential reality with God. We can know him now through Christ. But number three, it's appropriated individually and corporately by the power of the Spirit. Who's the fulfillment of the promised new covenant? You guys remember that from when we talk about Paul. Therefore, the Spirit is crucial, absolutely crucial for our Christian life, both individually and corporately, okay? Like Paul says in Galatians 3.3, he says, by you who began by the Spirit, are you trying to now finish by means of the flesh? Talking about the law. By implication, he's saying the same way that you entered into faith is the same way you're supposed to finish, which is by the Spirit. That's why Galatians 5, he talks all about walking by the Spirit. God, through his Spirit, creating his character in us so we can walk the life of God. Show people what Jesus Christ is like, the image of Christ. It says that in 2 Corinthians 3.17, right? He's transforming us from glory to glory. Verse 18, rather. Through the Spirit. So we must be born again to the Spirit to see and enter the kingdom of God and experience the life of the future and the present, which is crucial, which is what we're called to do. The gifts of the Spirit are, are demonstrations of the manifestation of the Spirit, the manifestation of the age to come present here. We're supposed to manifest that. Not only through the gifts of the Spirit, through the, through the Spirit, but through our lives, through our character, but not by our own works, not by trying to strive to make it happen by the Spirit who creates God's character within us, the fruit of the Spirit. He's, he's the crucial part of our experience reality in this life as Christians. Thus, eternal life is already and not yet. I hope you can see it. that picture I showed you. Just like Paul, it's the same with John. The essential framework of, for the whole New Testament is this eschatological existence. That's why I'm spending so much time on this. Remember, presence-driven life, spirit-driven life, we want to be fully embracing the spirit, but fully embracing the word of God. And in all honesty, this is building a foundation not only to understanding the Bible, but also to understand what it means to live a presence-driven life. Okay? Because having this as a foundation, you'll understand, oh, this is how we're supposed to live as Christians. Right? This is why God sent the Holy Spirit so that we live that eschatological future life here and now in the present through the Spirit. So what's happened already, death and resurrection of Christ, the gift of the Spirit, is what guarantees the future. The kingdom of God, the life of the future is made available now through Christ and the Spirit, but is to be fully realized at the return of Christ. Okay? And we live right in the middle of this, between the ages, the already not yet. We live here in this present evil age where sin abounds, where Satan's still, uh, it, remember we talked about that verse where the spirit of this age is in present in the people who haven't believed yet doing evil. That's why there's still suffering in this world. That's why we have to endure and have patient endurance and hope that all this evil is going to eventually dissipate someday when God comes and totally overrules death and Satan and sin and sickness. But in the meantime, we're called to show people what heaven is like. And suffering might come as a result of that. In fact, it will come, says Jesus. But that doesn't matter because we win. Jesus' second coming has already been determined from his resurrection and from the gift of the Spirit. That's already a done deal. Remember, we talked about D-Day and V-Day. The decisive battle's been won through the cross. 
Now we're in the in-between time, the mopping up operation, overthrowing the dominion of darkness, Satan's reign through Christ, until the final victory day when Jesus comes back and totally finishes and overthrows Satan and death. We're stamped by eternity because our lives have been marked forever by eternal realities, and we live them out now as we await the final end. Our aim is to live the life of the coming age now in the present by the power of the Spirit, the Spirit-driven life. Absolutely crucial. We're not, we're not called to, to do this on our own and, you know, suck it up and <laughs> just try and hope that it's, you know, we can do something. No, no. It's much better than that. The Holy Spirit's here to empower us to live that life, right? To live victoriously, to live from the powers of the age to come, it says, right? And we're, we're not on our own. We're not left alone to do it on our own in the trenches. We have the Spirit of God living in us. By his power, we're called to rule and reign in this life with Christ. So on that note, I'm going to finish and pray for us. And then we're going to eat some soup. That'll be fine. <laughs> so Father, we thank you so much for your life, for eternal life, that through the Son, Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and the gift of the Spirit, we can live heaven on earth now. Father, I just ask and thank you, like Paul prayed, that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened in order that we would know the hope to which you've called us, the eschatological kingdom of God the, in its fullness here and now, the glorious inheritance of your saints, and the incomparably great power for us who believe. We thank you that that power is like the working of your mighty strength, which you exerted in Christ when you raised him from the dead and you seated him at your right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority and dominion and power and every name that can be named, not only in the present age, but in the age to come. And that we as your church can live here and now by the power of your heavenly kingdom, showing people what the kingdom is like, spreading the kingdom wherever we go. Casting out demons, healing the sick, raising the dead, because there is no death in heaven. There is no sickness in heaven. There are no demons in heaven. And we thank you, God, and we ask for even a greater revelation that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, that we would know that we have this power already. That the same power who raised Christ from the dead is living in each and every one of us and that we are called to manifest the eternal life of the coming age here and now by the power of your Holy Spirit. And I ask God that we would live that eschatological life here and now and show the world how good you are through your kingdom manifested by your spirit. Father, we thank you for the privilege it is to live as totally eschatological people here and now in the present, showing people what heaven is like. And I just ask for the grace to come to that revelation and realization so we can live that way completely and totally by your spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. All right.